This is Women's Leadership Success, episode number 127. Everyone negotiates. Some people negotiate big deals. Other times, you may negotiate the price of a car, salary, or with co-workers. According to our guest today, most people who negotiate are making serious mistakes and don't understand some fundamental principles they need to succeed. No matter if you negotiate for a living or once in a while, this interview will increase your knowledge so that you'll have the confidence you need to develop and seal outstanding deals. Negotiation is so critical to your leadership, this show is broken into two parts. The first part is understanding and having the tools of a master negotiator. Part two will help you utilize your new skills to negotiate internally in your company to advance your career, get a raise, or even a new better job. And be sure to listen to my story about Michelle in the middle of this show to learn how she got promoted and how you can have more impact and progress in 2024. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Women's Leadership Success Podcast, and today I'm very excited to have Mark Raffin on the show. Uh, Mark is a wonderful negotiator. He has a great book out, and welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Can you uh, tell us the name of your book and a little bit of your background of how you happen to become an expert on this subject? Certainly. The book is Nine Secrets to Win Deals and Influence Stakeholders, a field guide to B2B negotiations. And the book came to life as a direct result of the training and coaching that we do at my company, Negotiations Ninja. And that started as a result, actually, strangely enough, uh, of a dare in a bar with a few friends where I was complaining that there was no great negotiation content out there. And as all good friends should do, they said, don't moan about it, do something about it. So I had a few more drinks. I decided that was a great idea. And then the next day, Negotiations Ninja was born. But my entire career has been in the procurement space, um, the opposite of sales. And for the longest time, I have seen hundreds and hundreds of sales presentations and negotiations uh-huh. every single year for a very long time and grew frustrated with the way that many salespeople were managing their negotiations and so decided to write a book about it. Great. Um, so I want to, I read your book. I loved your book. I'm uh, an unusual podcaster because I do read the books. And I'm always looking for something that's really, really helpful for my audience, uh, which are people working in companies. And I was struck with how many things you said in the book that I had not heard before and wanted wanted other people to hear. And also, 
not everybody in my audience is a salesperson, but for those of you that aren't salespeople, stick around because this is really, really going to help you to understand negotiations. And then in part two of the show, we're going to talk about how you can use these negotiation skills to um, help yourself in your company and also to when you're um, negotiating a salary. So what what is a negotiation mindset? Mindset of negotiation is actually one of curiosity and listening. It's an interesting mindset that a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people consider negotiation to be uh, the word, it carries a lot of baggage, right? Like when you say negotiation, a lot of people immediately, their shoulders start to creep up and they start to get their backs up against the wall. I'd, sometimes negotiation does feel like that, but it should be viewed as something with curiosity. Uh, and I find that actually the best negotiators are actually the introverts that listen very, very well. They're curious. They ask great questions. Those are the folks that tend to do well consistently. Just because you speak well, maybe you can string a few sentences together that sound really great, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the greatest negotiator. So when it comes to mindset, it's one of curiosity that I'd propose. You, you mentioned a lot of these in the book. And I, like I said, I highly recommend everyone get the book. But tell some of the mistakes that people make when they're negotiating. What leaving stuff on the table or doing the wrong thing. Yeah, the single biggest thing that I've observed, Sabrina, when people make mistakes in negotiations is that they don't plan for their negotiations. They believe that negotiation is this sort of innate trait more than it is a learned skill. So, and, and you know what, I think we could probably blame modern media for this, movies, podcasts, shows on TV. If you ever watch any kind of sales show like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or Boiler Room or whatever, you'll see these amazing displays of almost lyrical genius when someone picks up a phone and says something and you think, wow, a deal was created magically out of thin air. That's right. complete fiction. It's a fallacy. It's a farce. It's make-believe. And a lot of people, because of that, believe that negotiation happens that way. They believe that negotiation sort of happens on the fly and that you create value through just having a conversation with someone. The vast majority of people that I speak to when I say, well, what do you want to get out of this deal? Let's just say they're going into a business transaction of any kind or even an internal conflict in an organization. I say, what do you want to get out of this? They say, well, I want to get a good deal, to which my response is, okay, but that actually doesn't mean anything, right? Like, yes, you want a good deal, and congratulations, wonderful, good for you, but so does everyone. So what does a good deal constitute for you? What actually makes up that good deal? And once we can get clarity on that, then it becomes much easier to be able to determine what that good deal is. So maybe for a salesperson, for example, it could be making more money, reducing risk, improving communication. There could be a number of things that you have as aspirational goals. 
right. or someone in a project management role. It could be speed of completion on the project. It could be better communication on the project. It could be better teamwork. It could be a number of different things that you aspire to. Mm-hmm. But then you've got to think about, okay, how do I break those aspirational goals down into things we at Negotiations Ninja call success drivers, the things that actually make up the actions that you negotiate into the deal that drive the successful achievement of those aspirational goals. So for example, um, I'm not sure when this is going to be published, but in January 2024, we're the Western world collectively, many of us are going to have the aspirational goal of get healthier or lose weight. That actually on its own is a great aspirational goal, but doesn't mean anything unless there's action behind it. Uh So does that mean watch calories? Does that mean exercise more? Does that mean uh, eat more salad? Does that mean do more cardio? There's got to be something that you negotiate into that to do that thing. The same is true for any negotiation, right? Set the goal, set the aspirational goal, but then actually negotiate something into the deal that helps you to achieve that thing. That makes a lot of sense. And and you also talk about know what you're willing to give up. Yes. Um, and most people don't even think about that. Very you know, counterintuitive. It's yeah. like not everything's not equal. That's so right. How do you how do you figure that out? How do you figure out what you can give up? It's so first know what you want to get. And then also try and think about what is the other party you want to get, right? So I'm negotiating with some someone else. They're going to want something out of this too. They're going to ask me for things. And I've got to be very clear about what is it that I'm willing to give up. Now, why I say that's counterintuitive is that most people don't go into a negotiation thinking about the things that they're going to concede, right? If the vast majority of people that I ask about this, I say, well, what are you planning to concede and how much of that are you planning to concede? They say, well, I'm actually not planning to concede anything. And to which my response is, you're going to concede everything. Because if you don't know what it is you are, you might be willing, keywords might be willing to concede, then inevitably you end up either losing out on the deal because you're not willing to give up anything, right. or you end up giving away way too much and losing tons of value. In the negotiation. So trying to get very clear about, well, what is the counterparty going to ask of me? When I say counterparty, I just mean the other person. Uh-huh. What is the other person going to ask of me? Can I actually provide those things? And how much of those things can I provide? And then quite equally, what am I going to ask for in return for the things that they ask of me? Because if they ask me for something, I'm not just going to give it to them because that would just be considered a gift. I have to ask for something in return. And that's what I mean by planning for your concessions. And now for a break. A year ago, I worked with Michelle, who had been a director in a Fortune 500 company for over 10 years. She had top academic credentials and several patents to her name. She was well-liked by her team and known for her creative and innovative processes. Unfortunately, as she watched her company grow, many of her peers got promoted, but she was passed over numerous times. She was hurt, disappointed, and confused. She couldn't figure out why other people were advancing, and she wasn't. 
She realized she needed an outside perspective to get unstuck and to move to the next level, so she hired me to coach her. Initially, we focused on improving her executive presence, political savvy, plus other essential strategies that she wasn't even aware she was missing. After a few months, she was excited that she was now included in key meetings, asked for advice, and speaking at company events. Soon she was promoted to vice president. She wanted to continue to develop her new role and have more impact, so she continued coaching with me. Michelle is now a highly respected leader in her company and within her industry. If you can relate to the challenges that Michelle was having and you would like to increase your confidence, impact, and income in 2024, please contact me soon to see if you qualify for a complimentary coaching session. You can reach me at sabrinabrom.com or via LinkedIn. I have two openings for my custom executive coaching system in January and I've launched a new exclusive executive leadership mastermind group that fellow members are raving about. I look forward to talking to you soon. Can you share a story about somebody that thought they did this great deal because they got the contract or the deal, but it actually wasn't? Yeah, I mean, the first story in the book is actually very reminiscent of this. It's a story about where someone believed they got a fantastic deal. So they they were in a construction deal. The they were negotiating with someone. The person they were negotiating with says, "Look, we'll give you this deal if you can start construction in May." And the salesperson was super excited about this. They thought that was wonderful and fantastic, and let's go do it. So they said, "Yes, absolutely, we can do that." Now this is unusual because that's the only concession that the counterparty asked for, and obviously they want to get this work started sooner, or so the salesperson thought. So the salesperson runs to their vice president of sales and says, hey, I've got this fantastic and phenomenal deal. And in her eternal wisdom, that vice president of sales says, hang on. What do you mean you got the deal? I thought you were going to negotiate around this. Why did they just say, yes, show me the deal? So she goes through the deal. Everything looks fine until she gets to the timeline. And then she says to the salesperson, hey, you've agreed to start this in May. And the salesperson says, yes, isn't that wonderful? And the vice president says, no, it's not wonderful because what happens in the month of May in this geographic area? And the salesperson looks confused, has no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. And she says, it rains the entire month of May. We are now down one month in the schedule. We're not going to be able to – we can't even mobilize equipment to the site until the ground is dry, you've screwed up this deal. We're going to lose a phenomenal amount of money on this deal because we're going to have to bring people in later to be able to do it and we're to hit this timeline. And the salesperson is obviously distraught. They've broken down now at this point. And she says, okay, I'm not signing this. Go back and renegotiate this deal. And she made the right decision. And so you need to be very careful about some of the things that are asked of us, because on the surface, they may seem like 
really good things. But if you're not clear about what makes your business tick and how your business works, it's not going to be a good deal. So this being prepared is on multiple levels. Yes. It's understanding your industry and all of the factors that may come in here that would be pros or cons for how you're doing the deal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And what else? What? Yeah, because I this is the thing that I've experienced in companies is people are doing that thing you're talking about of acting like it's a movie or, you know, you just walk in and do it and then they they get hit in the butt kind of. So what are the kinds of things that you prepare in advance? So understanding what it is, is the economic driver of the deal is very, very important. Understanding what the emotional driver of the deal is very important. Not just understanding the company that you're negotiating with, but understanding the person that you're negotiating with and what motivates them. And in the book, we take folks through a number of different questions that you could ask the counterparty to be able to understand what what is really driving this for them so that you can better understand where you are within the deal, how to generate additional value, what to concede, those kinds of things. Uh, But quite equally, we've got to also think about the difference in the company that we're we may be negotiating with a company that's at the regional level, for example, of a large multinational. Uh And there's culture differences that exists at the regional level versus the national level level versus the headquarters level. And so understanding those things and preparing for those things are very important as well. Right. And you you have a a great you have a lot of great charts people can fill out in the book. And one of them was um, how much authority does the person have? Yes. And can you say a little more about that? Yeah, it's it's important to understand not just who the decision maker is in the deal, and you'll get this from any kind of negotiation or sales training where they say, well, who's the decision maker? That's not as important as understanding who influences the decision maker, especially if you're going into a large sale um, or a large transaction. Because finding out who the decision maker is in today's day and age is quite easy because you can utilize LinkedIn and many other tools and and developing a relationship with them is standard sort of relationship management techniques. But understanding who influences that person is equally as important as understanding who they are. Because we need to understand two things. We need to understand who the major influencers are and who the minor influencers are. Now, major influencers are people who are directly affected by the decision that is being made, that have big sway over that decision maker. So let's say, for example, I'm selling welding services into a manufacturing organization the person responsible for that spend may be the plant manager. They may be the decision maker, but a strong influencer of that decision maker may be the maintenance superintendent of that plant. Now, a minor influencer may be someone in accounting or accounts payable or project management that may be tangentially affected by the decision, but is not directly affected by the decision. I don't want to spend any time with anyone who is a minor influencer. 
I only want to spend time with people and influence people who are major influencers of the decision maker. Because then if I can spend those that time with them, I can understand, number one, who doesn't want this to happen? Who wants this to happen? And who would rather remain status quo? And understanding that is integral to any negotiation. Because if I understand key, this is the key. If I understand who doesn't want this to happen, then I can use my time effectively to convince that person that this is the right decision that needs to be made, or find a way to sideline them and silence them as a part of the negotiation. It's so important. How do you find out who those people are? I I, I knew I realized that that's a, a question that could take several hours, but what are some beginning ways that you can start? I call it reconnaissance. It's almost yes. like you're 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 in in the army and you're out doing the reconnaissance in advance how do how do you start figuring that out I, it starts with just asking yourself some very simple self-reflective questions including the first one which is the most important one is who is going to be directly impacted by this who has major influence so if i'm selling accounts payable software uh-huh. then the accounts payable supervisor is going to be affected by this right Right. So I need to be friends with and understand and try and influence that accounts payable supervisor. Maybe someone even in accounts receivable or in an accounting leadership position is going to be affected as well. And maybe even an influential person on the accounts payable team. And asking questions of the person that you're chatting to in the business is a great way to be able to understand who these people are. And I like to start the conversation by saying, hey, usually whenever I get into a discussion with someone who's investigating a service that we're offering to them, there are sometimes people missing from that first conversation, people that are going to be directly affected by the change or impacted by the change that are probably going to want a little bit of influence over this, who do you think those people would be? And it's sort of this disarming, nonchalant sort of roundabout question that makes someone go, oh, you know what? Jenny is really important. Um, She is going to be affected. You know what? We should probably include Jenny. And then I would say, oh, who's Jenny? Oh, Jenny's the accounts payable supervisor. Hmm, sounds interesting. We should probably include Jenny. What about someone from your legal team or your procurement team? Any of them need to be involved in that chat? I don't know if we need to involve them this early. Well, you know what? Let's just give them a heads up because the last thing that I want to have happen is let's say you and I are really excited about this, but we get to the end of the deal and then they raise their concerns. It's only going to slow things down. So better to just at least give them a heads up and give them the opportunity to be involved rather than not. Are you okay with that? And I always ask that permission-based question at the end to say, are you okay with that? Gives them the feeling of authority that they're a part of this and that they're driving the boat. They say, yes, of course, that's really a good idea. And then we bring those folks into the conversation. And you're, you're really helping them to have the best outcome possible for both of you by doing that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, ideally, we want to get into a situation where we're driving value, right? And that's the main that's the main goal of the discussion. Um, and I don't want to be in a situation where I get to the end of a deal and Jenny from Accounts Payable has, should have been involved and like from the beginning, 
And then Jenny says right at the end, no, I don't want to do this and kiboshes the whole deal. That would be tragic because that's a significant amount of work invested for nothing. Oh, this is so good. And we're going to end pretty quick here, but I want to ask you, what's what's a good way to practice this so that you overcome your self-doubt and, and you maximize your ability to be a good negotiator? How do you practice this? Find someone within your organization or a loved one or a friend. Uh, get them to write down some questions that they can ask you get them to fill the role of the person that you're going to be having the discussion with, and then just do back and forth conversations with them. An easy way to practice this right away is actually just to utilize ChatGPT to generate a lot of questions that you may have or that you may want to practice just to see how, what you're going to get, how you're going to get it, and then get them to be hard on you. Get them to be difficult with you. Get them to be the jerk of the negotiations so that you can adequately prepare for the negotiation so that if you come across that type of a person, you're ready. I remember from your book, you said, um, get rid of thinking of a win-win. People will say, yeah. oh, let's make it a win-win. Why yeah. doesn't that work in negotiations? This is a very controversial thing that a lot of people don't agree with me on. That's okay. But... like that. Win-win <laughs> is fictitious. It's... Um... It's nonsense. It's the biggest it's the biggest lie that's ever been told in the negotiation world because win-win presupposes that both parties can win. That's just not true. Because in order for that to happen, to be able to divide value equally between both parties, you would need to be what be 100% transparent with each other about everything. That that's just not going to happen. And eat, let's just say, for example, that was going to happen. Let's just say we were going to be 100% transparent with each other about everything. Then we would need to trust each other enough for you not to use that against me and for me not to use that against you, which is also not going to happen. But let's just say, for example, that we did trust each other enough that we weren't going to use it against each other. Now we have to get into a debate with each other about what's fair between each other. But your idea of what fair is and my idea of what fair is may be two different things. That's because fair is subjective. So the idea behind win-win kind of falls flat. Now, some people are going to argue with that and say, Mark, that's not really what win-win means. What win-win really means is both parties walking away from the deal feeling like they've gotten a win. That actually makes less sense to me than the first argument, because if all I have to do is make you feel a certain way, then I just have to find a way to manipulate your emotion. Right? And so that also doesn't make sense. And then you might say, well, Mark, that's not what win-win is about. Win-win is just about what's mutually beneficial. And then I would argue, well, who gets to decide what's mutually beneficial? If we get into an argument at the end of the negotiation and you say, well, this isn't beneficial for me, it's not fair, and my job is to create a win-win because it's now incumbent upon me to create win-win. If I really believe in that, I have to sacrifice value in order to create a win for you. But how do I know if you're not lying to me? Your job is to get a good deal for your organization. My job is to get a good deal for my organization. 
there's no way for us to be able to determine if that was truly win-win because we would need to open up the books to each other at the end and go, well, what kind of value did you create? And that's just not reality. So I assume you want everybody to be ethical and to make deals that work well for both parties, but that doesn't mean they're going to be equitable exactly. And they never can be. Yeah, I mean, I want you to be as as ethical as you can be, and I want you to work ethically, but I don't want you to be caught up in the trap of win-win outcomes because win-win outcomes are yes. a dangerous position to put yourself in, and they open you up to being manipulated by the counterparty because if you really believe in that, then all I have to do is say to you, Hey, Sabrina, look, I don't feel like I'm getting a win here. And now what are you going to do? Right. So it's. I think it's a very dangerous... Now, some people say, well, Mark, if you don't believe in win-win, then surely you believe in win-lose. No, because it's built on the same premise. The idea of win-lose is also nonsense. Now, what does that mean? It means that we believe in goal-based negotiation, which is the entire purpose of the book. Set the goal, set the strategy focus on that. I love it. We're going to end pretty quick here, unless you have one other comment you want to make before we finish. We're going to, we're going to end and we're going to have a part two because Mark has such incredible things to share. We're going to end up talking about um, how to negotiate between departments, um, how to increase your influence and persuasion and um, how to negotiate your salary for a new job in part two. Thanks very much, Mark, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Wait, keep listening. If you like this show and want to learn more on how to be a transformational leader, I have a special offer for you and a gift in just a moment. Thanks for following me on LinkedIn, where you can get more leadership tips from me. And also, I really appreciate you sharing, liking, and giving me a review in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Remember, if you consider yourself a current or future high-potential executive that wants to have influence, impact, and radically increase your income, I invite you to reach out to me on my contact page on womensleadershipsuccess.com so we can connect. Lastly, be sure and check out my Action for Traction for this episode in the show notes at womensleadershipsuccess.com. You will get three easy but powerful steps you can take immediately, plus some downloadable articles and videos based on this interview to help you truly be a transformational leader. Bye for now. See you soon. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.